0: Section 7 of Animal Heroes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cooper Leaf. Animal Heroes by Ernest Thompson Seton. Chapter 7. The Young Wolf Wins a Place and Fame. Instinct is no doubt a wolf's first and best guide, but gifted parents are a great start in life. The dusky maned cub had had a mother of rare excellence, and he reaped the advantage of all her cleverness. He had inherited an exquisite nose, and had absolute confidence in its admonitions. Mankind has difficulty in recognizing the power of nostrils. A gray wolf can glance over the morning wind as a man does over his newspaper and get all the latest news. He can swing over the ground and have the minutest information of every living creature that has walked there within many hours. His nose even tells which way it ran, and in a word, renders a statement of every animal that recently crossed his trail, whence it came, and whither it went. That power had Dusky Mane in the highest degree. His broad, moist nose was evidence of it to all who are judges of such things. Added to this his frame was of unusual power and endurance. And last, he had early learned a deep distrust of everything strange, and, call it what we will, shyness, wariness, or suspicion, it was worth more to him than all his cleverness. It was this as much as his physical powers that made a success of his life. Might is right in Wolfland, and Dusky Mane and his mother had been driven out of Sentinel Butte, but it was very delectable land, and he kept drifting back to his native mountain. One or two big wolves there resented his coming. They drove him off several times yet each time he returned he was better able to face them. And before he was eighteen months old, he had defeated all rivals, and established himself again on his native ground, where, like a robber baron, levying tribute on the rich lands about him, and finding safety in the rocky fastness. Wolver Rider often hunted in that country, and before long he came across a five-and-a-half-inch track, the footprint of a giant wolf. Roughly reckoned, twenty to twenty-five pounds of weight, or six inches of stature, is a fair allowance for each inch of a wolf's foot. This wolf, therefore, stood thirty-three inches at the shoulder and weighed about one hundred and forty pounds by far the largest wolf he had ever met king had lived in goat country and now in goat language he exclaimed you bet ain't that an old billy thus by trivial chance it was that dusky mane was known to his foe as badlands billy rider was familiar with the muster call of wolves The long smooth cry. But Billy's had a singular feature, a slurring that was always distinctive. Ryder had heard this before in the Cottonwood Canyon. And when at length he got a sight of the big wolf with the black mane, it struck him that this was also the cub of the old yellow fury that he had trapped. These were among the things he told me, as we sat by the fire at night. I knew of the early days, when anyone could trap or poison wolves, of the passing of those days with the passing of the simple wolves, of the new race of wolves with new cunning that were defying the methods of the ranchmen and increasing steadily in numbers now the wolver told me of the various ventures that penroof had made with different kinds of hounds of foxhounds too thin-skinned to fight of greyhounds that were useless when the animal was out of sight of danes too heavy for the rough country and last of the composite pack with some of all kinds including at times a bull terrier, to lead them in the final fight. He told of hunts after coyotes, which usually were successful because the coyotes sought the plains and were easily caught by the greyhounds. He told of killing some small grey wolves with this very pack, usually at the cost of the one that led them. But above all, he dwelt on the wonderful prowess of that there cursed old black wolf of Sentinel Butte and related the many attempts to run him down or corner him an unbroken array of failures for the big wolf with exasperating persistence continued to live on the finest stock of the penroof brand and each year was teaching more wolves how to do the same with perfect impunity i listened even as gold hunters listen to stories of treasure trove for these were the things of my world these things indeed were uppermost in all our minds for the penroof pack was lying around our campfire now WE WERE OUT AFTER BADLANDS, BILLY. CHAPTER EIGHT THE VOICE IN THE NIGHT AND THE BIG TRACK IN THE MORNING One night late in September, after the last streak of light was gone from the west, and the coyotes had begun their yapping chorus, a deep, booming sound was heard king took out his pipe turned his head and said that's him that's old billy he's been watching us all day from some high place and now when the guns are useless he's here to have a little fun with us two or three dogs arose with bristling manes for they clearly recognized that this was no coyote. They rushed out into the night, but did not go far. Their brawling sounds were suddenly varied by loud yelps, and they came running back to the shelter of the fire. One was so badly cut in the shoulder that he was useless for the rest of the hunt. Another was hurt in the flank. It seemed the less serious wound, and yet next morning the hunters buried that second dog. The men were furious. They vowed speedy vengeance, and at dawn were off on the trail. The coyotes yelped their dawning song, but they melted into the hills when the light was strong. The hunters searched about for the big wolf's track hoping that the hounds would be able to take it up and find him. But they either could not or would not. They found a coyote, however, and within a few hundred yards they killed him. It was a victory, I suppose, for coyotes kill calves and sheep. But somehow I felt the common thought of all. Mighty brave dogs for a little coyote, but they could not face the big wolf last night. Young Penroof, as though in answer to one of the unput questions, said, Say, boys, I believe old Billy had a whole bunch of wolves with him last night. Didn't see but one track, said King gruffly. In this way, the whole of October slipped by. All day, hard riding about doubtful trails, following the dogs who either could not keep the trail or feared to do so. And again and again we had news of damage done by the wolf. Sometimes a cowboy would report it to us, and sometimes we found the carcasses ourselves, A few of these we poisoned, though it is considered a very dangerous thing to do while running dogs. The end of the month found us a weather-beaten, dispirited lot of men, with a worn-out lot of horses and a foot-sore pack, reduced in numbers from ten to seven. So far we had only killed one gray wolf and three coyotes, badlands billy had killed at least a dozen cows and dogs at fifty dollars a head some of the boys had decided to give it up and go home so king took advantage of their going to send a letter asking for reinforcements including all the spare dogs at the ranch during the two days wait we rested our horses shot some game And prepared for that harder hunt. Late on the second day, the new dogs arrived. Eight beauties, and raised the working pack to fifteen. The weather now turned much cooler, and in the morning, to the joy of wolvers, the ground was white with snow. This surely meant success with cool weather for the dogs and horses to run, with the big wolf not far away, for he had been heard the night before, and with tracking snow, so that once found he could not baffle us. Escape for him was impossible. We were up at dawn, but before we could get away, three men came riding into camp. They were Penroofs' boys back again, the change of weather had changed their minds they knew that with snow we might have luck remember now said king as all were mounting we don't want any but badlands billy this trip get him and we can bust up the whole combination it is a five and a half inch track and each measured off on his quirt handle or on his glove the exact five and a half inches that was to be used in testing the tracks he might find. Not more than an hour had elapsed before we got a signal from the rider who had gone westward. One shot, that means attention. A pause while counting ten. Then two shots. That means come on. King gathered the dogs and rode direct to the distant figure on the hill. All hearts beat high with hope, and we were not disappointed. Some small wolf tracks had been found, but here at last was the big track, nearly six inches long. Young Penroof wanted to yell and set out at a full gallop. It was like hunting a lion. It was like finding happiness long deferred. The hunter knows nothing more inspiring than the clean-cut line of fresh tracks that is leading to a wonderful animal. He has long been hunting in vain how king's eyes gleamed as he gloated over that sign chapter nine run down at last it was the roughest of all rough riding it was a far longer hunt than we had expected and was full of little incidents for that endless line of marks was a minute history of all that the big wolf had done the night before here he had circled at the telephone box and looked for news there he had paused to examine an old skull here he had shied off and swung cautiously upwind to examine something that proved to be an old tin can there at length he had mounted a low hill and sat down probably giving the muster howl for two wolves had come to him from different directions and they then had descended to the river flat where the cattle would seek shelter during the storm here all three had visited a buffalo skull there they trotted in line and yonder they separated going three different ways. To meet, yes, here. Oh, what a sight. A fine cow ripped open, left dead and uneaten. Not to their taste, it seems. For, see, within a mile is another killed by them. Not six hours ago they had feasted. Here their trails scatter again, "'but not far, and the snow plainly tells how each had lain down to sleep. "'The hounds' manes bristled as they snipped those places. "'King had held the dogs well in hand, but now they were greatly excited. "'We came to a hill whereon the wolves had turned and faced our way, "'until they fled at full speed So said the trail. And now it was clear that they had watched us from that hill, and were not far away. The pack kept well together, because the greyhounds, seeing no quarry, were merely puttering around among the other dogs or running back with the horses. We went as fast as we could, for the wolves were speeding. Up Mesa and down coulee we rode, sticking closely to the dogs, though it was the roughest country that could be picked. One gully after another, an hour and another hour, and still the threefold track went bounding on. Another hour, and no change, but interminable climbing, sliding, struggling, through bush and over boulder, guided by the faraway yelping of the dogs. Now the chase led down to the low valley of the river, where there was scarcely any snow. Jumping and scrambling down hills, recklessly leaping dangerous gullies and slippery rocks, we felt that we could not hold out much longer when on the lowest, driest level, the pack split. Some went up, some went down, and others straight on. Oh, how King did swear! He knew at once what it meant. The wolves had scattered and so divided the pack. Three dogs after a wolf would have no chance. Four could not kill him. Two would certainly be killed. And yet, this was the first encouraging sign we had seen, for it meant that the wolves were hard pressed. We spurred ahead to stop the dogs, to pick for them the only trail. But that was not so easy. Without snow here, and with countless dog tracks, we were foiled. All we could do was let the dogs choose, but keep them to a single choice. Away we went as before, hoping yet fearing that we were not on the right track. The dogs ran well, very fast indeed. This was a bad sign, King said, but we could not get sight of the track because the dogs overran it before we came. After a two-mile run, the chase led upward again in snow country. The wolf was sighted, but to our disgust we were on the track of the smallest one. I thought so, growled young Penroof. Dogs was altogether too keen for a serious proposition. Kind of surprised it ain't turned out to be a jackrabbit. Within another mile, he had turned to bay in a willow thicket. We heard him howl, the long-drawn howl for help. And before we could reach the place, King saw the dogs recoil and scatter. A minute later, there sped from the far side of the thicket a small gray wolf and a black one of much greater size. By golly! If he didn't yell for help and Billy come back to help him, that's great! exclaimed the wolver, and my heart went out to the brave old wolf that refused to escape by abandoning his friend. The next hour was a hard repetition of the gully riding, but it was on the highlands where there was snow and when again the pack split we strained every power and succeeded in keeping them on the big five-fifty track that already was wearing for me the glamour of romance evidently the dogs preferred either of the others but we got them going at last another half hour's hard work And far ahead, as I rose to a broad, flat plain, I had my first glimpse of the big black wolf of Sentinel Butte. Hurrah! Badlands, Billy! Hurrah! Badlands, Billy! I shouted in salute, and the others looked up at the cry. We were on his track at last, thanks to himself. The dogs joined in with a louder baying. The greyhounds yelped and made straight for him. The horses sniffed and sprang more gamely as they caught the thrill. The only silent one was the black-maned wolf. And as I marked his size and power, and above all his long and massive jaws, I knew why the dogs preferred some other trail. With head and tail low, he was bounding over the snow. His tongue was lolling long. Plainly, he was hard-pressed. The wolver's hands flew to the revolvers. Though he was three hundred yards ahead, they were out for blood, not sport. But an instant later, he had sunk from view in the nearest sheltered canyon. Now which way would he go? Up or down the canyon? Up was to the mountain. Down was better cover. King and I thought up, so pressed westward along the ridge. But the others rode eastward, watching for a chance to shoot. Soon we had ridden out of hearing. We were wrong, the wolf had gone down, but we heard no shooting. The canyon was crossable here. We reached the other side and then turned back at a gallop, scanning the snow for a trail, the hills for a moving form, or the wind for a sound of life. Squeak, squeak went our leather saddles. Puff Puff our horses and their feet Kekalum Keckalump CHAPTER ten When Billy Went Back to His Mountain We were back opposite to where the wolf had plunged, but saw no sign. We rode at an easy gallop, on eastward, a mile, and still on. When King gasped out, Look at that! A dark spot was moving on the snow ahead. We put on speed. Another dark spot appeared, and another, but they were not going fast. In five minutes we were near them, to find three of our own greyhounds they had lost sight of the game and with that their interest waned now they were seeking us we saw nothing there of the chase or of the other hunters but hastening to the next ridge we stumbled on the trail we sought and followed as hard as though in view Another canyon came in our path, and as we rode and looked for a place to cross, a wild din of hounds came from its brushy depth. The clamor grew and passed up the middle. We raced along the rim hoping to see the game. The dogs appeared near the farther side, not in a pack but in a long, straggling line. In five minutes more they rose to the edge, and ahead of them was the great black wolf. He was loping as before, head and tail low. Power was plain in every limb, and double power in his jaws and neck. But I thought his bounds were shorter now, and that they had lost their spring. The dog slowly reached the upper level, and sighting him they broke into a feeble cry. They, too, were nearly spent. The greyhound saw the chase, and leaving us they scrambled down the canyon and up the other side at impetuous speed that would surely break them down. While we rode, vainly seeking means of crossing, How the wolver raved to see the pack lead off in the climax of the chase and himself held up behind. But he rode and raved, and still rode, up to where the canyon dwindled. Rough land and a hard ride. As we neared the great flat mountain, the feeble cry of the pack was heard again from the south. Then, toward the high butte side, and just a trifle louder now, we reined in on a hillock and scanned the snow. A moving speck appeared, then others, not bunched, but in a straggling train, and at times there was a far faint cry. They were headed toward us coming on yes coming but so slowly for not one was really running now there was the grim old cow killer limping over the ground and far behind a greyhound and another and farther still the other dogs in order of their speed, slowly, gamely, dragging themselves on that pursuit. Many hours of the hardest toil had done their work. The wolf had vainly sought to fling them off. Now was his hour of doom, for he was spent. They still had some reserve straight to us for a time they came skirting the base of the mountain crawling we could not cross to join them so held our breath and gazed with ravenous eyes they were nearer now the wind brought feeble notes from the hounds The big wolf turned to the steep ascent, up a well-known trail it seemed, for he made no slip. My heart went with him, for he had come back to rescue his friend. And a momentary thrill of pity came over both of us, as we saw him glance around and drag himself up the sloping way to die on his mountain. There was no escape for him. Beset by fifteen dogs with men to back them, he was not walking but tottering upward. The dogs, behind in line, were now doing a little better, were nearing him. We could hear them gasping. We scarcely heard the bay, they had no breath for that. Upward the grim procession went circling a spur of the butte and along a ledge that climbed and narrowed then dropped for a few yards to a shelf that reared above the canyon. The foremost dogs were closing, fearless of a foe so nearly spent. Here, in the narrowest place, here one wrong step meant death. The great wolf turned and faced them. With four feet braced, with head low and tail a little raised, his dusky mane a-bristling, his glittering tusks laid bare. But uttering no sound that we could hear, he faced the crew. His legs were weak with toil. But his neck, his jaws, and his heart were strong. And now, all you who love the dogs had better close the book. On up and down, fifteen to one they came. The swiftest first, and how it was done the eye could scarcely see but even as a stream of water pours on a rock to be splashed in broken jets aside, that stream of dogs came pouring down the path in single file perforce, and Dusky Duskymane received them as they came. A feeble spring, a counter-lunch, a gash, and Fango's down has lost his foothold and is gone. Dander and Coley close and try to cinch. A rush, a heave, and they are fallen from that narrow path. Blue spot, then, backed by mighty Oscar and fearless Tig. But the wolf is next the rock, and the flash of combat clears to show him there alone. The big dog's gone. The rest close in the hindmost force the foremost on, down to their death. Slash, chop, and heave, from the swiftest to the biggest to the last. Down, down he sent them, whirling from the ledge to the gaping gulch below, where rocks and snags of trunks were sharp to do their work. In fifty seconds it was done. The rock had splashed the stream aside. The penroof pack was all wiped out, and Badlands Billy stood there, alone again on his mountain. A moment he waited to look for more to come. There were no more. The pack was dead, but waiting, he got his breath. Then, raising his voice for the first time in that fatal scene, he feebly gave a long yell of triumph, and scaling the next low bank was screened from view in a canyon of sentinel butte. We stared like men of stone. The guns in our hands were forgotten. It was all so quick, so final. We made no move till the wolf was gone. It was not far to the place. We went on foot to see if any had escaped. Not one was left alive. We could do nothing. We could say nothing. Chapter 11 The Howl at Sunset. A week later, we were riding the upper trail back of the chimney pot, King and I. The old man is pretty sick of it, he said. He'd sell out if he could. He don't know what's the next move. The sun went down beyond Sentinel Butte. It was dusk as we reached the turn that led to Dumont's place, and a deep, toned, rolling howl came from the river flat below, followed by a number of higher-pitched howls in an answering chorus. We could see nothing, but we listened hard. The song was repeated, the hunting cry of the wolves. It faded. The night was stirred by another, the sharp bark and the short howl. The signal, close in. A bellow came up, very short, for it was cut short. And King, as he touched his horse, said grimly, That's him. He's out with the pack, and there goes another beef. End of section 7. Recording by Cooper Leaf.